tonight. If you have a Bible, if you'd open it to Habakkuk 1, verse 12 is where we'll start here in a moment. Um, Thanks for being with us today. Um, I have a very wobbly stand going on here. Um, So I'm just going to walk. It's actually not wobble because that's a dance. Learned about it this weekend. All right, so here we go. Um, So in our lives, this is a true principle that resounds anywhere we go. You hear it in stories all the time. And so when you hear a story of someone's life, say a drug addict, and they've come clean in their life as well, what do they tell you? They tell you about a story about the path that they went down, and all of a sudden the path turned, and it went somewhere they didn't want it to go, and then something happened to turn them from that path to a different path, and it set them to a place where they find themselves today. Or it might work this way, there's a very successful person, and they'll talk to you about their path. When I was in high school, I did this. Didn't get very good grades, but then I went to college. And I decided I was going to make something of my life. And so I did, began to do this and that and the other, which led me on a path that led to this place or not. I wonder, <clears throat> let's, let's wake up a little bit. Is it may a little, I mean, you might be a little sad today. You stayed up late. You watched Ohio State. It's okay. It's all rigged. Uh, so... <laughs> It's just creating greater disparity for the end of December, and so whatever. Um, So I want you to turn to your neighbor. I just want you to say a principle. We've said it to each other before in the room. Just turn to your neighbor and say, paths lead to places. Just tell them that really quick. Paths lead to places. All right, paths lead to places. It's true. It happens. It is the reality of life. Paths lead to places. So paths lead to places like this. And I wonder if you've ever wondered this or thought about it. Is the path that you're on leads you to the person you want to be when you die? Right now, today, if your walk with God stayed the exact same as it is today, would you be who you want to be the moment you stand before your creator? Paths lead to places. Now, we have this word that holds us back in this whole kind of paths and talk. The word is intent. And for some reason, we have been swayed to believe that our intent matters. I, I intended to read my Bible more. I just never did. I intended to share my faith, but I just kept praying whether it was God's will for me to share with that person, this person or that We Christianize it, we talk about it, we contemplate it. But at the end of the day, there's this simple thing called obedience. I either am or I am not. And no matter what our intent is, what we do and how we live matters to God. Anybody with me today? So the question that we have to ask ourselves is the path you're on leading you to the person, not just that you want to be, but that God wants you to be. Is the path that you're on leading. Now, we find ourselves in Habakkuk, and the people of God, and the path of southern Israel, Judah, they had disregarded God. Now, there had been a minor revival that had happened about 100 years prior. And in that minor revival, they'd found God's word again, and they said, we should adhere this, we should do this. And they got all jazzed up, and they got excited, and a generation did, but then a generation didn't. And the word of God was no longer heard. God was disregarded. Injustice 
And idolatry became their way of life. And they were on a path to literal destruction. See, Andy Stanley said this about paths. Direction, not intention, determines destination. Hear that again. Direction, not intention, determines destination. It doesn't matter how much we intend to be something or not. The direction we are on is going to lead us there. Another guy. So, so hear this and this. The essence of a sinful heart. What is it? And a sinful heart is an idolatrous heart. Something ultimately that it needs other than God for happiness. Everything that we do drives us to it. So a guy named J.D. Greer said it like this, you can pray, you can go to church, you can think about what your Christian life might be when you really get serious about God. But a disordered heart, right, is going to be a sabotaged life and we will straight miss God's will with a disordered life when we're not on the path that God has called us to. So let's read Habakkuk 1, 12 through 2, 5. Habakkuk 1, 12 through 2, 5, if you will, stand with me this morning in reverence and honor of reading God's word. Habakkuk 1, 12 through 2, 5, if you will, listen as I read. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of pure eyes and to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up? <clears throat> the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. So he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Father, would you teach us today from this passage, help us to understand this prophetic word to the prophet Habakkuk, to the people of Israel concerning what was imminently coming their way. Lord, help us not just to see in their time and how you were saying it to them, but Lord, help us to see you 
Help us to see you as you are in our time. Father, we desire to honor you, to love you, to live for you. Teach us this. Right here today, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you will, you can be seated. <clears throat> and so in this passage, we, um, it's, it's sort of going to go like this. We have Habakkuk's second complaint, and then we have God's response, and then for us, what is it that we do with this? How do we walk away with it? And so first, we see Habakkuk's second complaint concerning, concerning Babylon, or the Chaldeans. So we see this in, in 1, 12 through 13. Uh, well, actually, 1, 12 through 2, 1. So the first thing, his second complaint concerning Babylon is Babylon. They act as gods, is his second complaint. They, they act like they are in control of everything. And so he starts out in verse 12 like this. You, God, are. And Habakkuk's going to get a lot of things right right now about God. He's going to say, God, you are everlasting, Lord my God, Holy One, you will care for us. And he he starts speaking attributes of God into the person of, of, attributes of God to God. He says, you're everlasting, Lord my God. And this everlasting, it's the covenant name of God, meaning that God, you keep your word, even in the word everlasting, he's saying you are a covenant keeping God. You are clear that you will judge the wicked. Your your word has been clear. Your history is true that you will judge the wicked. It says you who are pure and holy, that God, you are set apart, that you are the God of history, that you don't go against your will, that you don't go against your way, that you don't go against your very nature. But he makes a statement about the Babylonians. He says, but God, see, this is who you are, but this is who they are. They are traitors. They're gods unto themselves. Yet you do nothing. You remain silent. They swallow up the man more righteous than he. And this is where Habakkuk kind of shows his misconception of God and his misconception of himself and his own people. The man more righteous than he See, the Babylonians were absolutely horrid and terrible, a horrid and terrible nation. They disregarded God in every which way possible. But the people of Israel, they were disregarding God in every which way possible also. The Babylonians were just much more forthright with their disobedience and disregard of God. The people of Israel's incivility with God was a little more tame possibly, than the Babylonians. See, Habakkuk got something right and something wrong. What he got right was who God is. But what he got wrong was who the people of Israel were. So he got right God. He got right Babylon. God's going to confirm that here in a minute. He's going to say, Babylonians, they're terrible. They're proud. They're arrogant. On and on. But what he says to God is, what about your own people? So here's the principle. Heritage does not make you holy. Say that again. Heritage does not make you holy. The people of southern Israel, Judah, were living in complete disregard to God. And any life disregarding God will receive judgment. Second complaint. 
They have no civility toward humanity. Since they capture men with their net without a struggle, they live off the plunder of others. They take, they capture, they destroy. They live for their own gain, disregarding the expense of another. So here, and this is a long section, 1, 14 through 16. Let's read it again. It says, you make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no root. He brings all of them, and this is speaking he, this, this Babylonian world, the Chaldeans. He, he brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, his, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them lives in luxury and his food is rich. They keep on taking and taking and taking and taking. See, incivility toward humanity. And next week, we're going to get there. And there's kind of two ways that we have to see the book of Habakkuk. Next week, it's going to be very explicit on how nations should act and how they should treat others. And so in here, there's these personal acts and there's these national acts. And so how do, how do nations work? By the way, we should, our nation should look at the five woes. Every nation should look at the five woes. We'll be there next week. Um, you're not going to want to miss that. Um, God's going to basically explicitly say this is what it looks like to be a nation under the authority of God and how we treat others in it and amongst it. And so in this, though, what we see is this, they this complaint. They have no civility toward humanity. They treat people like animals and beasts. They live for their own gain, disregarding the expense of another. See, incivility toward humanity and others is a personal choice And in the individual is a disregard to God. And a nation is just a bunch of individuals living in incivility, choosing as a personal choice to disregard God. Choosing to treat others not as image bearers of the God on high, created and made by him to be treated with dignity and worth and value. But instead... They treat them as though they have no dignity, they have no worth, they have no value. We have no issues with this in our day and time. This is very complete in their day and time of how they treated one another. If you ever, in your life, feel like you have the right to treat anyone because of color, because of economic status, because of educational background, because of anything, without dignity and respect, you have fooled yourself and you are disregarding God. Race, color, economic background, educational achievements. And we could go on and on and on. And I know that in North Canton, Ohio, in 2018, we have not yet achieved the level God desires for us in this. It's because of generational sin. It's because our grandfathers, grandmothers, dads, moms passed on to us things that disregarded the dignity and worth that every person possesses that was created by God.
and we should repent and ask God to change us in this. Anybody with me today? They had no civility toward humanity. And by the way, when you don't have civility toward others, you link yourself with the Babylonians, not the people of God. Then, his last, he goes, this is an endless cycle. Says, 117, he keeps emptying his net, mercilessly killing the nations forever. He goes, God, this is, it's nearly, this is like an apathetic statement. He's going, this is endless. Nations rise up and others disregard God and use the, the ungodly to judge the, what once was godly. And this cycle just seems to never end of nation rising against nation, death and destruction and ups and downs. Do, do you see this? I mean, this is contemporary. We can look at history. We can even look at, at time today and we see this destruction and rising up and down of nations, rising and falling, rising and falling. This is an endless cycle that keeps happening historically. This is right in the sense of this is what our world is. And historically, I don't believe this will ever end until, and this is where he's wrong, there will one day be a time when Jesus returns. And he sets all things right and there is peace, but only in Jesus and in his return will there be peace. Will there be peace? See, this is the reality of the human story. It's called sin. It's called disregarding God. And until Jesus returns and sets things right, men and women and children will disregard God, will go their own way, and will live for their own affections, their own pleasures, their own pride, their own destruction, and will rise up and take out and destroy. Sin, right? Sin is at the root of this great world problem we have. When God is disregarded, his ways are disregarded, destruction is always looming. And in our broken world, destruction is always looming. Good news today, hey? So, God's response. God's response. And so right before we get to his response, I just want to read 2.1. So Habakkuk says, I will take my stand at my watch posts and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. Now, he positions himself as a watchman. And watchman here in biblical times, we see it in Ezekiel. Ezekiel says this, that a watchman, if he doesn't tell the people what God has said, if he's not faithful to it, what it says is their blood will be on my hands. So this is a real warning to heed. It would be like right now me standing up and hearing from God and saying, hey, just so you know, in 10 years, everybody's going to die. So you better go. God has spoken. And what they all said was, eh, I don't know. Our life's pretty good. Really? Who are these people from Babylon anyway? Again, no one listened to God and they disregarded him. And so what Habakkuk, though, makes a comment, he makes a uh, 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 he makes a statement, and this is true of him. We'll see it play out. He says, I am going to listen to you, God. And what you say, I'm going to repeat. So God doubles down. So God's response. He said, <clears throat> so Habakkuk says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision 
Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God's response to Habakkuk is, write it in stone. Right? That's a phrase we use, right? This is written in stone. This is really what God says. Write it in stone. This is going to happen. This is going to come. I will do what I have said. Write it. Make it plain. It's a warning so that he may, he who, so that he may run who reads it. Now, it's referring back to verses 5 through 11. And this is what God is saying. This is what's coming your way. I want to read it again. So listen as we read it. It won't be on the screen. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march throughout the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They, they all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they will sweep by like the wind and go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So he says, write it in stone. Write it and make it plain. It's a warning so that he may run who reads it. This warning has been made. God is a gracious God, isn't he? The warning has been made. The question is, will they heed the warning that God has made or will they trust in their own ways and believe that not really because if God is a really good God, he wouldn't do this, but God is a really good God. And he said, listen to me. And they said, eh, we'll see how this all works out. Then, God continues and he says, I will do what I have said. So, I will do what I have said. You can count on me keeping my word. Now, this is a great attribute of God, isn't it? God is a promise-keeping God. He can be trusted. He always comes through. What he has said will come to fruition. That's kind of bad news too, isn't it? It's good and bad news. You can count on me. I will keep my word. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says it like this. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God is going to come through. He will judge the living and the dead. And those who have not been rescued and redeemed by the blood of Jesus will be cast away from him forever. God has made that promise. And he will keep that promise. For some of you today, that is good news. Because you are in Jesus. And one day you will be with him forever. But some of you, you have disregarded God. You have disregarded his commands. You have disregarded who Jesus is 
you will not submit to him as, as Lord. And if you don't hurry, if you don't turn, you will suffer the consequences because God is a promise-keeping God. And God is a holy God. Second response. God says, I am aware of who the Babylonians are. So then his second response, he, he's saying, hey, just so you know, maybe you're confused by this. You don't think I see what is. I clearly see what is, and I clearly know who the Babylonians are, and I will do what I want. Now, here's a little kind of underpinning. I'm just going to give you a little Ryan Johnson's commentary. Like, for, for me, this is how I see it. God is God, and he can do whatever he wants, anytime he wants, however he wants. I am created. I don't understand the mind of God. I don't get God. There are some things about God that are a complete mystery to me because he is far bigger than me and far better than me. Now, I, I don't guess get caught up in this whole thing that I'm smarter than everybody else because I know I'm not. I've met a lot, a lot of people that are a lot smarter than me in life. But one of the things I believe, just simply, by faith, I know this is true about God. God is God, and he can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. And so he goes, I'm aware of the, who the Babylonians are, two, four, and five. And two, four, and five, there's kind of two messages. There's the Babylonians and the people of God. <clears throat> so first, I am aware of who the Babylonians are. They're arrogant. They're puffed up. They're not upright. They're not straight. They, they run crooked. The, their path is off. They're overly indulgent. Wine is a traitor. They're greedy. They're proud. They think too highly of themselves. And then God says, I will take them out. This is implied. It'll be explicit next week, but it's implied that I will take them out. Judgment will be theirs. And by the way, historically, what happens? Judgment is theirs. The Babylonians are taken out. Yet again, not a prophecy of the Messiah coming, but a prophecy that came to, came to reality that we see again in the scriptures. God always does what he says. <clears throat> so in this, what do we see? That each man... Each nation must answer for themselves in regards to obeying God. To God, there is no separation between religion and nations. There is no separation between religion and politics. There are his ways and there are not his ways. And we either choose to live in his ways or we choose to disregard his ways. So... God says clearly, I know who the Babylonians are. You don't have to tell me. It is a bit presumptuous of Habakkuk's complaint, isn't it? He goes into this long explanation of, let me think of an illustration here for you, God, so you can understand it. It's like fish, God. It's like fish in the sea, and it's like a net going down, and it just scoops up all these fish, God, and then they just plunder them and they destroy them. God, do you get it now? And God says, I get it. I, I know who the Babylonians are. You didn't have to tell me. I actually know it a little bit better than you do. Then, there's a statement in 4 and 5. And the statement takes three books of the New Testament to explain. He says, I am the collector of my people. 
In verse four, he says, the righteous shall live by his faith. The righteous. The entire book of Romans is written about the righteous. The righteous shall live by his faith. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The righteous, the just, those who have been set right with God, they shall live actions. Galatians 2.20, shall live, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life I live in the flesh, I'll live by faith in the one who loved me and gave himself for me. By faith, the entire book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith, right? And then in verse 12, chapter 1 and 2, it's right after this hall of faith. And it reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The righteous shall live by his faith. And so what it says is this righteous people, that God will gather to himself all peoples from all nations. He collects as his own all people and deals appropriately with them. Jesus is also going to speak of this in a parable. See, there's only one way to come to Jesus. There's only one way, and there's always only been one way for people to come to God, and that is through repentance and faith. Repenting, turning from rebellion and disregarding God, and turning to regarding God, and living faithfully for him, listening to him, knowing that his ways are better than my ways. Again, repenting is living a life of disregarding God and saying, God, I no longer want to disregard you. Forgive me for disregarding you. I want to live for you and I want to regard you most highly with my life. Jesus is going to actually use a parable of a dragnet. And it says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some of every kind which when, it was fully, when, which, when it was full, they drew to shore, and they sat down and gathered, a good, gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, righteous, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be gnashing, there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. See, judgment is real for all. And God is a collector of his people. And he will justly deal with the wicked. And I will be the first to say that I, I sit with the redeemed. Yet I am a very wicked man. And the only thing good in this man that stands before you today is that the blood of Jesus covers my sins. And his blood covering my sins compels me. And I don't know about you, but it compels me to live my life regarding God because, God because God regarded me. And how dare we disregard God 
when he regarded us to give his son with such a high price. See, judgment is real for all. All over stadiums yesterday, again, as always, John three sixteen hung. And it's a verse that we know, that we've seen all around, but it is the Bible. It is true. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, we continue seeing kind of this back and forth of God in Habakkuk and what is going to happen to the people of southern Israel, Judah. What about us today? As we continue in this journey through this book, again, next week, we're going to be walking through the five woes that kind of show that not only the personal way in which we should treat others and live in humanity, but nations and how they should live and how they should act. But what's our response to God's word today? I believe there's many, and these two don't just sum it up. Maybe for you, God said something explicitly that you must do today. Maybe that's, you've never turned in faith. Maybe you've never regarded God. You've been disregarding God, and you just need to repent and turn in faith this morning. I believe one thing that God is clearly asking of us today in this text, in this room, is to embrace a path of righteousness to embrace a path of righteousness with our lives. That forward movement from today on, what does a path of righteousness look like for my life? It says the righteous, the righteous shall live by faith. What things need to change for the crooked paths in which you are on and which you divert onto consistently? What does it look like for you for the world to stop invading your path, the offshoots of life. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's envy. Maybe what ended up just being moderation of drink has become excess and nobody knows it but you. Maybe you don't want anyone to know how deeply depressed you are today because Ohio State lost. Sorry, like I went there. Like some, I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm a fan My heart's been there. I'm finding too much hope in something I can't control. My mood's changed by like two, three days because of sport. How silly would that be that I would let something like that, again, Ryan's preaching to himself, I've been here, let it it shift my life that much. What things need to change for you to embrace a path of righteousness. Maybe God's been telling you for a long time you need to get serious. And maybe it, not maybe, it always means this. And to embrace a path of righteousness always means that we must humble ourselves. For me, it's typically meant this. It typically means I need to go to someone and say I need help. That's just what it's meant for me. And the thing that hinders me from doing that is I'm somewhat, can be, at times, proud. And so humbling myself means that I go to a brother, a sister, I make things right. Maybe I go to a brother and say, hey man, could you help me? 
because I'm not doing very well with this and it seems like you do really well with this, would you come alongside me for a season and help me? We need each other. And to embrace a path of righteousness means that I need to do some things to change. And then second, second is to engage in a plan bigger than ourselves. Engage in a plan bigger than ourselves. Let my actions lead me down a path that is bigger than me. This is not simply about me walking down a path of life and that when I get to the end of my days that I sort of had this dual mix of things that I liked and God liked and and they were kind of evened out and they were evened out in a way that both of us were happy. Anybody with me on this? This is about God and that God has a plan for this world and every one of us in this room is a player in that plan. And so being a player in that plan, we're praying, God, help me to engage in a plan bigger than myself, bigger than me, a path of action to my God, a response to his holiness, his graciousness, his kindness, his patience with me, helping me respond to live my life in a way that isn't about me. For many of us, we've made these statements and they typically happen internally. Statements like this I wish I was dot dot dot. I wish I would have listened to dot dot dot. I wish I would have spent more time blank, blank, blank. I believe that today is a time to stop wishing and start becoming. And I believe our wishes, we call them intent. And our intent really doesn't matter at all. We can have good intents our whole life, but if we never do anything with it, your intentions are just that, intentions. You may not have intended to have that affair, but you did. And you are called an adulterer. You may not have intended to drink too much, but you do all the time, and it's called alcoholism. You may not have intended to slander your brother or your sister, but you did, and you are a slanderer. Now, God's kingdom is full of alcoholics and adulterers, and his kingdom is full of people who have repented of their sins and their disregarding of God and turned in faith. There's not one sin that kicks you out of the kingdom. But there's a posture of life that disregards God. And that, that is what is dangerous. And so, what things need to change to embrace a path of righteousness, to engage in a plan bigger than ourselves? I believe that two things have to happen. You can say it and they're the same. You have to stop and start right? I must stop doing something so that I can start doing something else. Or I need necessary endings for new beginnings. What necessary endings must happen today, not tomorrow, not next week. This isn't like a diet plan, like Monday I'm starting up on this dude. Today, what necessary endings have to come so that new beginnings 
to be the man, to be the woman, to be the child that God has made you to be, that the path that your life is set on is a good path, is a noble path that will take you to who God wants you to be increasingly with your life. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth within it. God, we believe that you are a God who keeps your promises. We believe you are a God who is righteous and holy and that, God, you are not standardless, but that you have standards in which we cannot achieve. But you, even in this book, Lord, prophesied would come, you sent your one and only son, the righteous one, to make us righteous. Lord, help us to turn increasingly in our lives in repentance from the things in which we disregard. Faith to where we regard you holy and supreme over all things. Lord, for the one who has never turned in repentance, their life would be defined by disregarding you. Lord, help them turn in regard to your will and your ways for their life today. Make them new. For all of us, God, help us. Help us to identify the necessary endings for new beginnings. Help us to take action that we might walk down the path of righteousness which you have clearly laid out in your word. And so as we sing this song, Lord, lead us as we respond to you. This I ask in Jesus' name, amen.